This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome into a special edition of Rhode Island's podcast of record, the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you as we welcome the 76th governor of Rhode Island, Dan McKee, for an exclusive one-on-one conversation right here on the pod. And of course, astute listeners of the program probably remember that then-Lieutenant Governor McKee was my first guest here on B-Town back in 2018. Now, almost 300 episodes later, he's the governor of the state. And we have a lot to talk about, obviously. It's a jam-packed 30 minutes. We probably could have gone on threefold were he not the governor of the state of Rhode Island and has other things to do, of course, besides be here on a podcast. But very grateful that the governor took some time out of his day, uh, his extremely busy schedule to spend time with all of you out there for this one-on-one interview. And we get into, obviously, we spent a lot of time on COVID and the response, the vaccinations, et cetera. But we also get into hospitals in the state education in the state, the selection of Sabina Matos as lieutenant governor. We even get into his, what I describe as globally buzzworthy comments that there will be music in Newport this summer, referring to the Newport Folk and Jazz Festivals. So there's a lot in there. Did this one for you, whether you're driving right now, uh, wherever you're listening, here's a peek inside the mind and the moment of the 76th governor of Rhode Island, Dan McKee. Another quick thing as well, and I, you know, look, this is not really even that important at the end of the day, but I, I wanted to let you know that um, I did some analysis of where Bartholomew Town stands in terms of, you know, podcasts in Rhode Island. And I can say, I can report to all of you that because of you spreading the word, the grassroots movement that we've created here together, B-Town is Rhode Island's number one podcast. We beat out all of the corporate media, the public broadcasting efforts to do podcasting. And again, this isn't because I'm spending any money on advertising or anything like that. It's because all of you out there are sharing the show, you're talking about it, and frankly, you're listening. And I see a lot of you are listening on your way to work in the morning. I see a lot of you listen late at night. It's really interesting stuff, um, and I can't thank you enough for making B-Town Rhode Island's number one podcast. Okay, let's get right to it. My conversation with Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. It happened pretty quickly that all of a sudden the buzz was, I guess, around the holidays that former Governor Raimondo was sort of in the mix for a cabinet position. And then next thing you know, all of a sudden it was moving very quickly that you were the governor in waiting, so to speak. So now that you're actually in office here for several weeks, I guess going on, what, a month and a half almost, um, what's it been like? Yeah, so we're day 35 right now, Bill. Uh, I'm counting down to 100. I'm feeling as though that just work as hard as you can uh, during those first 100 days every day to see how much we can, um, how much management level we can actually impact. So it's it's a thousand piece puzzle. We got all the pieces and it's putting them all together. So it takes time, but we we've been very fortunate to have a good a good uh, amount of the staff that was in the department heads that remained we have a good relationship with them and then uh, we're building out our office staff the immediate staff with people who have been already uh here functioning under with the governor Armando along with people who have been really with me for years and then a number of people who are uh have been referred to us uh in whether it's in policy or whether it's asked to be in the in the um the, the customer service. And so there's many areas that we're working on to, to make improvements. And there's many areas where we're just trying to get up to speed. And that's been interesting watching sort of the combination of your staff with 
those who were retained from the Raimondo administration, folks from municipalities, it's almost like you've been able to sculpt a team that is that caters to to everything you're looking for. Is that is that accurate to say? Well, I, it's not perfect, but uh, the idea was to have a map of Rhode Island and having skill sets that represented the the skills and and in, 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 you know all the areas of Rhode Island. So we've been doing our best to um, uh, bring in and co- make sure we're covering the nuts and bolts of of the operations. Uh, we know that there's some uh, some real reason to, to uh, dig in deeper in areas, including the uh, the hospital issues with the Zamborano issue. Uh, but and then also, but we're really focused on the COVID issues. Uh, as you've been at the press conferences weekly, uh, to build out our capacity. That's job one. Get shots in the arms, and we, we were able to bring my uh, network of municipal leaders in to play a significant role. I don't think that everybody really understand how good of a role they would play. I did because I was a former mayor. Many of the people, even in the media were questioning, well, are you just going to do municipal, you know, municipal uh, shots in the arms and municipalities? No, we, we built out regionally on state, state sites. We are built out uh, regionally now on municipal sites and we're enjoying the fact that we can get 160,000 shots out in a week uh, where that capacity wasn't built out. We still don't have the supply. But that's like the top priority that we've been working on. Uh, but we're also knowing that there's areas where we built out in our office three major areas over and above the normal, the COVID and the response, as well as the day-to-day activities. We built out three areas in our office. One, we, we carved out an area for uh, education, and we just uh, just finalized our staffing last weekend in the education. So we've been here for 35 days to education uh, group uh, with Christine Lopes Metcalf, who has worked at Ride, helped me start mayoral academies a dozen years ago. She just came on since the second week and we just added in another person last week. So it's taken a little while. We did education. We're doing small business. As you know, we have a big interest in small business. Have not filled out that completely. Uh, Still uh, doing some interviews on that. I got an interview later today, uh, making sure we get the right person in. And then finally, we're doing this equity and opportunity piece uh, with with Pastor Chris, knocked on his door of his church a few weeks back and said, hey, you're doing God's work. Why don't you come in and help me with the people's work? And uh, Pastor Chris has been fantastic uh, in uh, along with some other people that we're building out. So it's been, a, it's been a, a, a good process. We have a lot of good people that are working with us. Uh, we still keep in our transition groups alive for the first 100 days, still meeting with them. They've got subgroups that are going on talking about issues that are really important to them, whether it's the opioid addiction issues or housing issues or um, education issues, those are all actively operating. And we're hoping that we bring in, you know, continue to bring in people who live in the state that, you know, join me in the efforts to make the state a great place to be living in. I'd like to go through each of those things, at least in some, to some extent, but with COVID, you know, where we're in a, an odd moment right now because we're seeing the vaccine trend go in a positive direction. The, the number of appointments are certainly increasing and your rollout has been uh, effective in, in reaching a lot of people. We still, we still see disparities there. You've made it a priority in, in your media briefings and so forth to say, hey, look, anybody who's hesitant to get a vaccine, who feels disenfranchised from the process, we want to reach you. Where is that stand? Where does that stand right now? And what should Rhode Islanders do if they feel, for some reason, they're not able to get an appointment, or they they know a neighbor that is is hesitant? How should that move forward? 
So I think there's uh, a couple of areas that I could comment on that. One is any any groups right now, or any community that is uh, lagging in the percentages in terms of, for instance, the black and the Hispanic community right now, they're lagging the percentage. So the black community represents 8% of the population. Just a few weeks ago, they only represented 3% of the shots. Uh, the Hispanic community represents 16% of the community. They only represented about 9% of the shots. So we're intentionally over the last week and a half, uh, once that was called to my attention, we brought in uh, Jim Vincent and, uh, and Pastor Jenkins and other people who are working, uh, you know, that, have, that we can, uh, we've can uh, engage to help us with that. And now we have a specific program that we're, that we're launching over and above what we are in normal appointments to make sure that we're catching up in that community. We also got a disparity between men and women bill right now. And we, and so, like I said, at my press conference, look at, I'm doing working in the, you know, to level, level that percentage for both the black and Hispanic community. I would do that in any community that was lagging behind. And we, and we've identified that right now, men are lagging behind on women's and women uh, getting shot. So we're going to dig into that and then do something intentional on that. As far as the people who are uh, hesitant, uh, we need the family members and others to uh, civic leaders, uh, not only uh, elected leaders, but civic leaders in the churches and the choirs and the little league programs uh, in that communities to really tell people that this this is an important uh, civic responsibility they have to get vaccinated uh, so that they can they can be safe. The families will be safe. If they get sick, the families suffer, uh, you know, both economically and health wise and education wise. So I think that the biggest message right now is as we develop the um, the amount of supply to meet uh, the demand and we've created the capacity to do it, Bill, uh, the message is really the same one I've been delivering weekly now. It's have the discipline, follow the protocols, keep yourself safe, go through the process of, 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 of getting your appointment, just like Sue and I did, took us a few times on the computer. Now, Sue and I both have had our second vaccination now two weeks ago. And a large amount of the people in the state of Vermont are getting vaccinated. So those who are getting vaccinated, they need to let people know. When I had my second shot, I had no no reaction at all, uh, zero. Uh, so the people who are saying they might have a reaction, there may be some, but they're going to be safe. And after they get their first shot, we know that they're going to be virtually uh, 100% safe from uh, going into the hospital or, heaven forbid, we don't want to attend any more funerals, do we? So uh, they, they're they 100% pretty much uh, protected during that 21, 28-day time between the second shot. So important, uh, and we can go into a lot of the reasons why, but the health and safety is always the top priority, and I'm glad you mentioned that. We are going to really be specific about uh, identifying communities that are lagging, whether it's in the Black community or the Hispanic community or it's in, you know, in, in the, uh, the, the men in the state of Rhode Island, and we're going to address that continue to work on these regional pods that we've worked out. But we also have, have launched these municipal activity levels that weren't, weren't there before. They did all the vaccines for the teachers, the child care, and the related staffing uh, in, a, in over a two-weekend period where about 88% of that group has been vaccinated. And we expect to get the benefit of that when we, you know, because our kids, I think, are our highest priority. Uh, we're going to get the benefit of that right after the spring break. I think you're going to see a great deal more activity in the schools and of course, we're, we're looking to our September opening, both in our K through 12 and our universities, uh, the fully, fully uh, occupied and fully, you know, and safe and doing so. So that hesitancy thing, uh, 
this is the time to start talking about. So I thank you for that, Bill. To, to continue to talk about that because I think that most people. I was at a um, Meals on Wheels uh, uh, where where Ripta had uh, had its uh, drivers uh, deliver meals, uh, and uh, because they weren't fully um, being engaged because of the the reduction in the amount of people that were dry, riding on on the Ripta services, they delivered their ten thousand meal today. And the gentleman that I was uh, was received it and talking to, uh, he was saying, I could I ask tough questions. So I said, well, ask me some tough questions and I'll ask you a tough question. And uh, uh, this was a man of color uh, in his uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, getting his meals on wheels. And I pointed out to, the, uh, to my vaccine bracelet that I wear now. I'll be wearing that every day. I said, have you got vaccinated yet? And he said, no. I said, well, we need to get your contact information because we need to get you vaccinated. <laughs> So it's everybody's job to make sure that they identify people who may have some hesitancy, uh, but who have been vaccinated to spread the word that it's that it's to help us keep us safe and then reopen our economy, reopen our schools. One thing is I, I live, as as you likely recall from coming here to the loft in the, in the past, in one of the affected zip codes of Providence, I was offered the opportunity to get a shot. I thought about it and said, you know, I'm in my 30s. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But then finally, I said, you know what? I should take the shot since it's been offered. I ended up going to the Middletown Pod Saturday, just moments before you got there. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I've heard from a lot of people that said, "Look, I live in in these zip codes, but I'm not going to get it until I know that everyone else has gotten it, so to speak." How how does that stand? Is yeah. the supply going to catch up? Should you take the shot yeah, if you're yeah. offered it? Right now, our and this is the thing that we've injected into this discussion. By opening up today, we opened it up to 50 and older that you just mentioned. Next week, 40 and older. Next week, 16 and older. When you become age eligible, you need to go get the shot, period. And that's your, it's our job to continue to lobby DC, uh, to make sure that when the, when the supply comes in, that we're able to get it out quickly, efficiently, and safely. Uh, but right now, I, my message to everybody, once you're age appropriate, uh, get, it, get, get online, make the phone call. Uh, enter your name on, on our reservation bank that's there right now. When something comes up, you'll be called. You can still go like you did to the Middletown site. Uh, you can go anywhere in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, there's no exclusive zip code that you have to stay in to be vaccinated, get your appointment. But yeah, Bill, you did the right thing. Is the Once you're age eligible, eligible um, get, get your appointment. Because what we need to do more than anything, we need to make it very simple the messaging very simple and not make it complicated because of all of a sudden we're too specific on who and, and too confined on who is eligible. We're not going to get the percentage of these vaccines out in people's arms. It's when you create a simple process, it's very understandable, and then have everybody participate uh, who is eligible. Uh, uh, we want you to do that. All right, folks, this is getting real. The time for talk is over. From iron workers to engineers, business owners to biology teachers, Rhode Islanders believe in the power of offshore wind. Together, we're cleaning the air and creating jobs right here at home. Our goal of 100% renewables by 2030 is in sight, and the future is bright with Rhode Island a real leader in America's emerging offshore wind industry. So what makes you a Revolution Wind believer? Join us at revolution-wind.com slash it's real. That's revolution-wind.com slash it's real. Let's go.
you created a lot of global buzz when you said there will be music in Newport this summer. And even, I think, offered the idea that the Newport Folk and Jazz Festival may happen in some capacity. What do you envision that looking like at this point? You know, it's hard to imagine 10,000 people at Fort Adams um, in one day, but you see the likelihood of summertime. You mentioned 4th of July fireworks this past weekend. You see something happening that will be worth making such an event take place from a financial side on the events end. I do. And, and the, the reason is because I believe that, uh, and I mentioned about the, the fact that uh, REMA, the, the, our uh, emergency management team, our, our National Guard, right now FEMA, are you know, the, the leaders on the logistics, General Callahan, uh, Tony Silver in our office, who was a former chief of police with me on the logistics, along with Tom McCarthy, they have structured this in a way where we're going to be very heavily vaccinated by mid-May. And then by mid-June, we're going to have uh, a good portion of, our, of the people who live that are eligible with a second shot. So that's why, just like I was saying, build the capacity bill before it comes, before the supply comes. We need to start building out the, um, the networks of activity in advance because you know these activities, you're in music, you know that these just all of a sudden you just doesn't pop up and done. It takes time. So we're projecting as that, and I was happy to say that about uh, there'll be music in Newport this summer. Because, um, because I wanted to signal out early, that's where we're headed. I'm, as you said, we'll be, I'll be uh, talking this week about, hey, there's going to be fireworks and parades on in, in the 4th and uh, celebrating our 4th. Uh, we should be very much in a, in a place where we can have uh, a reasonable strategy there. And then if we're really successful, uh, you know that I've been talking about this incremental flexibility. We're always got an eye on flexibility, where we can find flexibility. And I would think that you would agree that if we knew two, three weeks in advance that we could uh, that they could uh, uh, service another thousand people in Newport at the at the jazz festival, you go online; those things would go they would go rapid fire. So we can make these decisions even up to a couple weeks prior to the uh, the, the actual event, and that's our intent. We'll be we'll be uh, doing something for Providence uh, this week where we're starting to talk about. I think we went out with an RFP today. Uh, for for, for um, disassembling the hospital at the convention center because we want to get the convention center operating uh, to a degree where it's safe, but we're bringing people into the city uh, because how hard our small businesses have been hit, in particular in our city. Newport has been less so, but they've still been hurt. But Providence has just been decimated. Last COVID question, the COVID weekly briefings how long do you think they're going to go on for? It seems that at times there's it devolves into off-topic questions, so on and yeah. so forth. But, but do you sense that you'll continue those for for a while longer? I think that we'll continue those, uh, especially as we reopen schools and we reopen the economy. I think there's going to be a shift at some point from the health focus into the economy and reopening schools and being an information center. As long as this. People want to cover it. I think it's really important to share as much information as we can, especially when we get into the spot where we've vaccinated 78% of the eligible people. That's what we're projecting by mid-June. We still got 22% that we need to go out with, right? So we don't need another strategy. We'll start putting that strategy together. I think what we'll do is we'll kind of move from the regional pods, which kind of mass sites, to back, back into the local uh, cities and towns uh, to be specifically targeting into the areas. So I think it's going to be really important to our safety. We don't know about, uh, um, you know, where we're going to be uh, as far as the virus goes, uh, was whether we get hit with another 
you know, you know, uh, you know, another uh, virus or a variant. Uh, so we got to be on our toes on that. What I do, what I am hopeful for, because you like to say, I think that the media and rightfully so and the public wants to hear about other items. So we're trying to figure out a venue that we can stop meeting weekly uh, to talk about non-COVID issues. Uh, and I would expect that we'll have some format there within the next few weeks. Uh, as soon as the COVID, uh, you know, becomes that we start really transitioning, I think that's when we open it up to those media events and start talking about not only the COVID things, but other things that are important to people in the state. And also issues that, quite frankly, we're, you know, I said about that thousand piece puzzle. It, we're, 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 um, we're working hard to solve some puzzles that have not been solved for many, many years. And uh, so we want to talk about that. We want to get input on that, Bill. So I would expect that we would be opening up to a more of an open uh, press event uh, as soon as we can build the capacity in a venue that would allow that. And then, then really, we, we have been uh, very disciplined, and rightfully so, that the topics at the, um, on those weekly things are uh, COVID-related. That's what people are uh, taking their time to tune in on. But you can see I've cut down the amount of time that we're spending on that, right? We have a different format, presentation, open it up to more questions, in and out in an hour. Uh, that's, a, I think, is a lot more efficient than the, the couple hours that we were spending, uh, you know, weekly on that. Get, I created a format where we have people sitting behind mics. Easier for you to ask one person or another person real quick without having to exchange the, you know, the, the position on the stage. So we've been trying to do that, make it a user-friendly strategy for the people who are watching, but also for the media. We, I think that we need to make sure that we're connecting in with them. They got coverage that they need to uh, make, and uh, we want to provide them the opportunity to get the information they need. I couldn't agree more. I think you were in and out yourself in seven and a half minutes. One of the, I think it was last week or the week before. And I thought, man, that's how you do it. If you really want to send a message home, be at least the average person's attention span now, is sometimes 15 seconds. So works pretty well. Yeah. And I've had some good feedback for the way that we, you know, that now that we're handling that press conference, uh, the goal is to start at noon, uh, to end at one, uh, and then to provide uh, a reasonable amount of time so that the media can ask the questions. Also allow them to have a follow-ups. I think that that was an issue that I think that we heard a few weeks back that we weren't providing time for a follow-up on, on a question. I think that the, the follow-ups are just as important as the initial question, as you know. So, hey, we're, we're open. And um, that's the idea is to be really open in a dialogue with everybody. And, and then we're following up with people who are actually following up with us, uh, not only in the media, but also people who are watching. They have questions. We're, we're trying to make sure that they get the right information in a timely way. Kind of a lightning round here of other topics today. Catherine Power um, leaving as hospital, basically director of the hospital board. Hospitals right now are a major issue. There's mergers happening. We've got the Zamborano situation. Kind of big picture, 36,000 foot view right now, hospitals in Rhode Island. What's your take? Yeah, so I think on the issues that have to do with the Zamborano issue, I think that we really need to understand the problem, uh, and that's what we're digging in on. We we appropriated dollars in the budget to so that we can once we realize what needs to be constructed up in Boroughville, we'll we'll be able to act quickly on it rather than delaying that. So we're actively trying to find uh, uh, the uh, you know even last week there was multiple messages coming from the state that we're actually oh we're gonna leave people in at, at Zimmerow. No, we're going to take them out. Oh, there was a fire marshal who said that you had to take them out. We talked to the fire marshal. The fire marshal never told us to take it out. So we need to get to the bottom of it to be able to solve the problem. As far as the, 
the two other issues, the merger and the, and the consolidation of a, a new ownership in another group. Those are really important issues, Bill. We're, we're not really prepared to take a position on that other than the fact we know our hospitals are important. I really like the idea that it's more Rhode Island driven with a Brown University partnership. When we were talking about this a few years ago, it was more of a, of a broader out-of-state strategy, sending people up to Boston, docs up to Boston, patients up to Boston, partnering them with a, a, a university outside of Rhode Island. So I think they're in a lot better spot right now. But we got to make sure that um, that during the process that we're strong in terms of the ability to deliver health services in, a, in the most affordable way. So we're, we're really looking at that and um, we'll have some opinions that will make public uh, within the next few weeks. Education right now, some major issues with the charter school moratorium, Providence school takeover as well. Just last week, the union calling for an end to the the state takeover of the schools. You said that, and as it was presented, it was a non-starter. I mean, where does that stand right now in reality? Yeah, you need a plan. Uh, I think the state needs a plan as well, hmm. uh, as well as the as well as the interested parties, which is the union, the parents. They need to know that there's a good plan. So just a hand back of the keys and just have it go back to where it was. That's certainly not, that's a non-starter. I think I said that. I, I expect to inject myself into that discussion uh, very soon. And we met over the weekend with different parties that are involved. Um, and we're going to continue to do that, Bill. Uh, we'll, we have ongoing conversations with the commissioner, superintendent, the um, uh, Judge Flaherty, the mediator, as well as the, as well as union, we haven't had one recently with the union. It was a few weeks back. Expect to have one very shortly with the leadership in the AFT. So, once we kind of get an idea of how we inject ourselves in a real meaningful way, uh, that's the plan, and I would expect that will happen very soon. The Act on Climate. You have said that you're opposed to the enforcement piece. Are you concerned about how that might affect you politically, or is there something in there that you think is? Um, in terms of the enforcement and the citizen oversight that you'd like to see remedied that's way outside of politics that lives entirely inside of public policy? So I support the whole issue about clean air and, and, and controlling the emissions. And, and I've said all along that I would always ride the bumper of the technology. Mm -hmm. The technology is going to go really quick. Um, I thought I, I, I wouldn't uh, last yesterday we we're having dinner with a family and this carousel of progress down at Disney came up. So we put it up on the TV and, and, and each step along the way, there was, you know, the person, the dad was saying, oh, my God, Edison says he's going to have lights. Would that be unbelievable? And then we're going to have this and then we're going to have that. It, the, the, the notion that somehow that uh, we're going to stay in gasoline vehicles for an indefinite period of time is just not accurate. Uh, so we're going to be moving. Uh, th th there is a carousel of progress, and it's gone very quickly, especially with the uh, what the what President Biden has 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 been really uh, advocating for. There's going to be a whole new world. I, I'm talking to you on a on a on a phone that's not even disconnected, and I can see you. You can see me. No one ever would have thought that it would happen. The same thing is going to happen with our energy. So we need to really make sure that we're forward thinking on that issue. The issue that I have with the legislation, and I don't think anybody would do this, uh, just say like your home, uh, you know, and, and we said, okay, we're going to keep the grass cut to a certain level. We're going to keep it green to a certain level. And then I'm going to sign paperwork that says, hey, you can sue me if, in fact, uh, I don't keep my grass green enough for you. And then besides that, I'm going to pay for your legal expenses when you do that. 
So, and then you could potentially take my house because I, I signed on to something that didn't make sense. But at the same point of view, there is an elected person that actually can do this work on behalf of the people, which is the attorney general. So I'm not saying that we should not have some level of oversight and some sort of legal remedy. If in fact, uh, and it'll be on me or the governor, because the governor actually has uh, appoints the people uh, in their positions that are going to be primarily serving on this board. That's going to have to come up with some ideas and strategies, Bill. So my my issue is not riding that bumper as quickly as it goes. And I think it's going to go fast. And it's certainly not worrying about uh, business community somehow that they think that the tell me who's going to invest in a, uh, in, a in a blockbuster video uh, you know store right now. They're not <laughs> going to do it. We were on phones with major, major um, oil uh, fossil fuel companies that are transitioning right into this area in a very aggressive way. So I don't think you hold on to the past. But I don't think that you open up the taxpayers to a risk that it, uh, that really is, doesn't make sense. And that's that's the objection objection I have. Hopefully, we're going to be able to resolve that. And then we're going to communicate, as I did last week, with a letter just describing the position I'm taking in terms of the legal remedies. The G- attorney general is a legal remedy. If I don't do my job to the, to the best of my ability to, to re- reach those goals that are set, or the attorney general doesn't hold me accountable, the office, then there's an election process, right? People can vote. They can they can elect you out of office. So there's many, many checks and balances. I don't have to put your house at risk, Bill, because you didn't keep your, your lawn green enough in somebody's opinion. And and that's really what you're talking about. You're opening up and then also paying for the for the lawsuit. And they don't even have to prove they're right. They just have to prove that they're half right. And then and then then it costs people a lot of money in the state. So I think you got to protect the taxpayers as much as you need to protect the air. I think you can do both. I would err on the side of protecting the air in this situation, but why why not make sure we're protecting the taxpayers as well? Yeah, one does not go without the other in this this scenario, no doubt about it. Um, Lieutenant Governor Designate Matos, excited about that, and and when might we see a Senate confirmation? Yeah, so we got word today that uh, that there's going to be a hearing uh, this week, uh, confirmation early next week. Uh, we're very, very, very optimistic about it. I think that uh, Sabina uh, uh, Matos is a very skilled uh, elected official uh, with project perhaps as much experience as anybody in the state of Rhode Island in terms of working in government, working with budgets, understanding the 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 uh, you know the the interaction that's needed to be successful. Our office is going to, me personally, is going to take a very personal interest because I really want to show the people in the state of Rhode Island that a lieutenant governor and a governor could run as a ticket. They could manage as a ticket. And it's a big advantage if we do. You saw you saw Sabina at the press conference the other day. She'll be visiting sites, uh, vaccination sites with me, already starting to work with her on many issues. So looking forward to that. And I would say that, you know, there's, her skill set is really, really strong. All right. And when we take her around the state of Rhode Island and she introduces me to her network and I introduce her to my network, it's going to be a very powerful team. And the people are going to have a lot of confidence in the ability for us to get good things done for the state of Rhode Island. Governor McKee, thanks so much for hopping on and uh, look forward to seeing you on Thursday at the press conference. Okay, Bill, thanks for the invite. I think this this is my first time as governor, but I, I do remember my first time as lieutenant governor. Oh, absolutely. Almost 300 episodes ago. <laughs> Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I know it. that. We'll keep up the good work, though. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.